You know, like a lot of you, uh, I was kind of eagerly observing Scott Frost's first season as head football coach. And uh, we kept hearing that one of the biggest things that, that he and his assistant coaches were doing is setting the new culture, building the new culture. And, of course, you know, they start out 0-6, and, and we're hanging on to that. Okay, well, they're, they're building the culture. Uh, culture is who you are. Culture must be reflected in everything that you do, and that's true for us here at Faith Westwood. Uh, for example, last Sunday we had our, our big annual chili cook-off, lots of people, lots of fun. Uh, I don't know if you noticed there in the fellowship hall and that back wall, and maybe if you were there you saw behind a bunch of the chili servers, it has these large, five large posters with one word on each one of them, and uh, that defines, those values define our culture. We are relational, practical, generational, missional, and invitational. So uh, that was all reflected in that. For example, uh, Chili Cook-Off was relational. We know we spend a lot of time with each other, and, and I was talking smack about chili with John Mock, you see over on the left, with Trudy. And then on the right, uh, well, the Mock's one category, and so did Elaine on the right. And in the center, the grand prize winner uh, was Stephen Whiteman holding the $1.99 trophy. And so congratulations to all of them. Uh, and, of course, the event was practical because what better way just to kind of have a, a time, some family time as God's people together than just to share a meal together and just enjoy one another. Uh, it was also generational because we, also, we brought all the generations together for it. It was missional. We raised uh, nearly $1,200 for our pantry that day, and it was invitational. Some of you introduced me to some people you invited to our church and to that event. And I just want to say, way to go, Faith Westwood. You know, a lot of places can have uh, a big meal and event, but not every place can make it a reflection of your culture. Uh, now, we said today is Jersey Sunday, so you're kind of wondering why we're all wearing our sports gear. Uh, but anyway, today I wanted to share with you, I thought because it's Jersey Sunday, there's a, there's a scene of a movie that is my favorite scene from a football movie. And it doesn't even happen on the field. Um, but it's when, it's when players of the team want one of their teammates to be able to finally get to suit up for a game before he graduates. His last home game, the last chance. So this is from the movie Rudy. Let's watch. Yeah. Oh, hi, Roland. Come in. I want Rudy to dress in my place, coach. He deserves it. Don't be ridiculous. Georgia Tech is one of the top offensive teams in the country. You're an All-American and our captain. Act like it. I believe I am. Me too, Coach. I'm ready to dress in my place. Coach, this for Rudy. This for Rudy, Coach. 
That scene chokes me up every time. Does it to you? All right. So these players, you know, they are for the team and they are for one another. And of course, if you know the, heard the, uh, watched the movie, you know that Rudy gets to suit up. And not only that, but he gets to go in for a couple plays and he makes it into the record books by recording a sack. Uh, you know, I don't, maybe all you know this, but a similar play uh, happened in Memorial Stadium this fall. You know, Trish and I, we go to a game every year or two. But on, Dece- on October 27th, we were in North Stadium uh, when the Huskers played Bethune-Cookman. And in the fourth quarter, fifth-year senior Matthew Jarzinka was called off the bench and out onto the field his first time. And, and, and we, I watched, I could see it in the distance as, as Jarzinka shed his block, rushed the quarterback, and pulled him down. And, of course, you saw the, the team was just celebrating. They were coming out to, to greet him and celebrate with him. The, the fans were going crazy. Next morning, I read Tom Chattel's column. A lot of you know Tom, member of our church, saying that perhaps it was meant to be. I, I kind of read into his language divine providence, okay? <laughs> meant to be that that. that Nebraska got rained out against Akron, so Bethune-Cookman had, could be scheduled, so the Huskers could build up a big lead. So a Nebraska kid who grew up playing eight-man football could get his shot and make it into the record books with a sack. And Faith Westwood is a team. We are one of Jesus' teams in South Omaha. We have a, pur- we have a purpose that, that only this team can fulfill and you are an indispensable part of this team. Let's open our Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look and start with verse 4. If you're using the Pew Bible, you'll see it on page 1178. And by the way, we always like to say, if you don't have a Bible, you don't have one in a readable translation, uh, we want to help. Just take a, take a Pew Bible home. It's yours. You don't have to ask. You don't have to get permission. It's yours. Now, today's passage comes from a letter uh, by the Apostle Paul. Probably he's writing it while he's uh, under house arrest in Rome. He's writing to his sisters and brothers in Christ in the city of Philippi, which is in northern Greece. So follow along with me, verses 4 and 5. He says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel. Let's say those last four words together. Partnership in the gospel. Let's try it again. Partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul's saying, you don't know, I don't know how to express that I love you guys. We, we are partners together. We're on the same team. So who are these people? Who are these partners in the gospel? Well, one of them is Lydia, an influential businesswoman. We read about her in Acts chapter 16. Uh, she, she hears Paul talking uh, about Jesus down by a river one morning. And uh, so she sat and she listened for a while. And God just did something in her and opened her heart. And she found herself believing. And then afterwards she says, she welcomed Paul and Silas and their companions to, to stay at her place. She probably had a, a big villa with a bunch of extra guest rooms. So, and then also uh, in Acts 16, we find that there was a jailer and his family. 
And the story is that uh, shortly after Paul and Silas arrived there in Philippi, uh, they, they, they helped and they healed this slave girl. And, and you wouldn't imagine a big trouble that they got into for all of that and so a mob formed and and Silas and Paul were severely beaten and then they were put in jail and their feet were put in stocks it's not a good day but that did not quench their joy so there they were in the in this dark filthy stinking cell their feet in stocks and you know it's about midnight and they're just praying and they are singing to the Lord and then this strange thing happened. An earthquake kind of rumbled the whole place. And it was enough to knock loose their chains and their stocks. And then they, it made the jail cell door ajar. And so the, the jailer, he, he rushed in and, and saw the doors open. He figured, well, all the, they've all escaped. And he figures, oh, I don't know what my, you know, the Roman authorities are going to do to me. I'm going to be better off dead. But before he could fall on his sword... Paul called out to him from the darkest end of the cell and said, Don't hurt yourself. We're all here. And this jailer was so shocked and, and, and so grateful, he told Paul and Silas, what do you, I want to have what you have. And so he took Paul and Silas to his home and he bandaged their wounds and, and that's when they told him and his family about Jesus. And then just like Lydia, the Lord opened their heart and they, be, they became to believe and were baptized and they became partners in the gospel. And so this happened to many people there in Philippi, a number of them. And so we might ask, well, in what ways are they partners? What does it mean to be a partner of the gospel? Uh, well, first of all, we find that they were partners by giving for the gospel. So well, the, the Bible says that before Paul and Silas, they left uh, uh, Philippi, that the new believers there said, hey, let's all chip in, okay? And they received an offering, and they gave it to them and said, we want you to take this. So it will help you on your, on your journeys to, to share the good news with more people. Uh, so, so now, in this letter, Paul is writing them to thank them for another gift that they just he's just received from them uh, to support him while he's there under house arrest because, you know, they don't feed you. <laughs> the only way you get to eat is if people from outside support you. So giving for the gospel is one way that they are partners. Another way is by striving for the gospel. And we see this later on in, in uh, chapter, uh, verse 27 where Paul commends these Philippian believers for striving together as one. So they're like one team, striving together as one for the, God, for the faith of the gospel. So striving means what? They're putting their, their best effort into it. They, they are, they're out there and they're living the Jesus life and they're willing to talk about it even when it gets them into trouble. They're willing to bless people even when uh, they might get thrown into jail for it. So they are, they are partners by striving for the gospel. And then the next one I've already kind of forecast a little bit, they are partners by suffering for the gospel. So, you know, we said that Paul and Silas, the first time they were in Philippi, they were beaten and they were put in jail. And now, same things happened to some of, the, some of his friends from Philippi. And later in chapter 1, Paul tells them to, to count it a privilege to suffer for Christ. 
I mean, that, he probably had to tell him that because that's not, the first, that's not the first thing we think of, is it? We think of how bad it is. But he's telling well, hey, it's a privilege to suffer for Christ. And so that's why in this letter, Paul is so joyful. He's so thankful for them. He knows that they're giving and striving and suffering for the gospel. So, so these people, they don't just go to church. They give, they strive, they suffer for what they believe in. They are on the team. They're not just in the stands watching. They are on the team. So uh, I want us to say an affirmation together. It's sort of our team chant today. Uh, it's, a, it's an affirmation of who we are and what we believe. So let's say it together. I'm on the team. I'm a partner in the gospel. If you, if you say that and believe it means you don't just go to church. You are giving. You are striving. Uh, you are suffering. If the, if the occasion arises, suffering for the gospel. So let's go on to verse 6. Uh, and I'm going to ask you, if you still have your Bible open, read it with me, okay? This is the rest of the sentence that we started in verses 4 and 5. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, God started this team. God's still at work in this team. And God knows where he's taken this team. And I believe the same is true right here. God was at work when two Millard churches began in the 1960s. And God was at work when Faith Church and Westwood Church moved, merged in 1970. And God was at work through those early exciting years of the 70s and 80s when Harvey Gable was the pastor. And God was at work uh, during the years of, of building this place and, and the exploding growth of the 90s. And God was at work in the, in the first part of the 2000s when Water's Edge be, uh, began and then was released to be its own church. You know, during, during my first few years uh, here at Faith Westwood, worship attendance was on the rise. And I, I have to tell you as a pastor, that's always encouraging, right? Well, since then, worship attendance has been tapering off it's been in decline, and, and so I did, you know, that's disheartening to me. And it's also, I have to say, it's, it's puzzling. Because in so many ways, this is the strongest church I've ever served. And I don't just mean in terms of numbers and program. I'm talking, there, there's a spiritual strength here. I was talking to a very experienced uh, pastor the other day, a friend of mine. It blew him away that a church of our size, we have 240 adults in small groups. It blew him away that we serve 90 families every month from our pantry. It blew him away that we have 84 and growing number of people trying to be a blessed friend every day. God is doing a good work at Faith Westwood. You and I are partners in it. So let's affirm it again, shall we? I'm on the team. I'm a partner in the gospel. You know, about a year ago, um, we started shifting. And, and uh, we started using the word partner rather than the word member. And we're not the only United Methodist Church to do that. Uh, membership, it, it means more than 
rights and privileges. For example, uh, I am a member of the Great Plains Bluegrass and Old Time Music Association. I paid my annual dues in October, and they gave me this card. I am a member. And I receive certain privileges for my membership. I am admitted uh, to the monthly shows at a discount. I get to play along during the monthly jam sessions. I can, I can sign up to perform a few songs at the annual open mic. I'm a member. But I'm not really a partner. I mean, I pay my 20 bucks. But beyond that, I'm not giving, I'm not striving, I'm not suffering for the cause of bluegrass and old-time music, unless you say listening to it is a kind of suffering. I don't know. Maybe. You know, a lot of people join the church with that same kind of, that kind of membership mentality. Uh, you, you go through the initiation and you, you pay some nominal dues, and as a result, you receive the benefits of membership. You get to have your family baptisms and weddings and funerals here. But that's not that's not what it means to be a church. And that's why I am losing the word member and choosing the word partner. We are partners in the gospel, giving, striving, even suffering for the cause. So let's say it one more time, shall we? I'm on the team and I'm a partner in the gospel. I know some of you have been badly burned by churches before. And it breaks my heart when I hear it. And I just want to, on behalf of, of God's large global church, I just want to say how sorry I am. And, uh, you, you know, you found your way here. And maybe you're still feeling like, oh, I don't know, I'm going to try this for a while. These people seem kind of safe. But maybe you're still feeling skittish and cautious and I just want to say, take your time. The last thing I want to do is push you or pressure you into partnering with us because it may take some time to, to heal those deep wounds. And, and some of you are still sorting out, you know, what you believe about God or whether you believe in Jesus. But you come here and you found yourself learning. And you found that, that these people seem kind of genuine. And so I again say, hey, take your time. God is at work in your life, and, and we want to just support that and encourage that. It's, it's, and I believe that one day, like, like Lydia and the jailer in Philippi, one day the Lord's going to open your heart, and you'll put your faith in him, and one day you'll be ready to partner with us. Three or four times a year I offer a, a class called Faith Walk. Uh, it's for people who are preparing to make the, the partnership promise uh, here at Faith Westwood. And in this class, you know, we, we touch on some of the basics of the faith and we make some new friends and, and we learn more about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and a partner here at Faith Westwood. And so Faith Walk is kind of your way of letting us know that you're ready to take that next step. That you're ready to say, okay, I want to step off of the sidelines and out onto the playing field. So, and just so you know, my next Faith Walk class is coming up real soon on February 16th. 
Um, and uh, if on your connection card, if you happen this morning to check Faith Walk box on there, then Holly Timberlake's going to be in touch with you and kind of tell you more about it and see if you want to sign up. If you didn't do that, but you think, well, maybe I should have, then just grab another card. Put your name on it, check Faith Walk on there, and then you can hand it to me or Holly after the service, okay? Uh, now, another thing. Uh, you, you may have heard uh, that the United Methodists are having another what they call special session of General Conference. It's going to be in St. Louis uh, later this month. And the only topic up for debate is whether United Methodists will marry same-sex couples and whether we'll allow persons who are in same-sex relationships to be pastors. And I got, honestly, I don't know how this vote's going to go. Some people think they know. I don't think they know. Uh, and whatever happens, I do know this, some people are not going to be happy. Isn't that the way it goes? My top agenda after General Conference will be to preserve the unity of the Faith Westwood team. Because I believe that what unites us is stronger than anything that could divide us. We are partners in the gospel. Yesterday, uh, more than 20 of us from Faith Westwood went to the Fresh Expression Vision Day. Uh, it was about finding ways to help people who had never come to a church, help them to find a safe place to explore questions of faith. And, and whatever we do with, with fresh expressions, I know that it's not going to come from Steve, the pastor. It's going to come from people like you. One of you might start a Tuesday lunch with friends at work who don't go to church but are willing to bring up their questions about God. Uh, one of you might start, uh, you know, you're in a softball uh, team uh, and you get together Tuesday, or Thursdays after practice and just uh, people say, hey, let's get together and, and you can share about your lives and, and one or you that might say, pray for the group. Or, or you might get together with some non-church-going friends in a coffee shop on Saturday mornings uh, to read a verse of the day and talk about how does that connect with our lives. I have no idea. There are thousands of ways this kind of thing can be done. And I'm excited to see where God might take this, but it happens because you are a partner in the gospel. Even outside this church, you're a partner in the gospel. Last month, um, I decided to fast one day because I was grieving over what I could see was the continued decline of, of our worship attendance at Faith Westwood. I'm saying, Lord, what's going on? Am I not doing what you need me to do to lead this church? And so I, I was really just wrestling with God over it, trying to listen. So the next morning, I, I, I wake up, and before I break my fast, I'm praying again. And I'm saying, okay, God, show me what I need to know or what I need to do. Come on, Lord, show me what, what do I need to know or what do I need to do? And shortly after that, a thought came into my mind. Now, it wasn't Im immediately obvious to me that this thought was from God. 
It could have, you know, I thought, well, maybe just one of those random thoughts just passing through my head happens all the time anyway. Uh, so, uh, but I, I thought this morning I'm going to uh, tell you what it was. And, and in my thoughts, the, the words that came were from Jesus. And he said, I'm pruning this church so we can bear more fruit. I'm pruning this church so we can bear more fruit. Now, I have to admit, I should have been aware that the first clue that this really was from the Lord was that my first reaction was to argue with it. <laughs> you know? Like, well, what does that mean? What, what are you trying to say? But what about this? And, and so, anyway, another way I figured to test whether this was from, the, from God or not was just to talk to a few people that I trust and say, well, this is what happened. What do you think? And the few people that I, that I shared with about it said, yeah, I think that, that could be from God. So now, I'm just laying it before you. What do you think? Could Jesus be pruning this church for a purpose so it can bear more fruit? And I have to say that the biggest encouragement that I received from that whole experience was that if Jesus is saying that I am pruning this church so it can bear more fruit, it means that he's still saying that this is his church. And he's still in charge of this church. And he's going to lead us on a path to bear more fruit because he still counts us as his partners in the gospel. That he still trusts us to be out there and to bear more fruit. Let's pray about that. Well, Lord Jesus, uh, we are trying to listen to you the best we can and follow you. But uh, we thank you that you have named us and claimed us as your partners in the gospel. And so, Lord, uh, we, are, we, want, we are on your team. And uh, that means giving and striving and, if need be, suffering for that cause. Lord, we are ready. We are signing up. And, Lord, we pray that you will continue to unite us at a, as a team, that we will come together as one for that purpose. And Lord, whatever preparation you have to do for us as a church or for us as individuals, we ask you to just do what you need to do. Prune and prepare us so that we are prepared to, to bear more fruit. And all God's people said, Amen.